with all that fun stuff, why don't you turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 if you have a Bible or on your phone with me. And that's where we're going to be this morning. One of my favorite portions of text in the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, What we've done this fall, as you know, is we're looking at words, key important words from the New Testament. And last week was actually really beautiful teaching on forgiveness. As we look at not just what words that are important from the first century in the context of the New Testament, but also words that sometimes we use or we think we understand But when we get down to the heart of it and we actually slow down and look at them, there can be a chasm from what it meant in the first century to today. And so we've looked at some really great words. Anything from salvation and holiness and witness and, of course, again, last week, forgiveness. What do these words mean? What did they mean and what do they mean for us? The word that we're going to look at today is your common evangelical word that we use a lot, especially around Easter, and it's the word cross. This word tends to kind of flow off our mouths as Jesus followers as though we know what it means, which is beautiful, and I think for most of us in this room, we would feel the weight of a word like cross. And what it means for us, most of us understand that you're, you got up on a Sunday, sunny Sunday morning in November and made your way here because this thing, the cross, holds weight in how it shapes us, how it forms us, what it means for us. Um, what I want to do, like we've done with all these words, is just circle back and make sure we've got this right. Sound like a plan? Paul gets into this. In 1 Corinthians, you know, uh, this series has been shaped by looking at the Old Testament framework, then the Greco-Roman framework, and then what it means for us. I want to go straight to Paul's words, because this is what he says. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross, he says, is, what does your text say? Foolishness. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person, Paul says? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul says, Jews demand signs, but Greeks, they look for wisdom. But we, we, we preach Christ crucified. And this, brothers and sisters, is a stumbling block to Jews And it's foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Come on, somebody. (laughs) That's me, all right. Not many were influential, okay. Not were many of noble birth, all right. But God chose the foolish things of the world 
to what? Shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, this, this flips things on its head. Because in a moment, and I get it sometimes, where we want to bring Jesus everywhere in a pretty like palpable, pretty, um, pretty grab-a-hold-of kind of way, and I get it. There's a sense even in my own life with the people around me. I want people to know Jesus. I want them to embrace Jesus. That, would, that obviously is the goal as witnesses for King Jesus. You get to this thing, the cross, <laughs> And it kind of confronts all of us, right? Because this could have probably done, been done anyway, probably maybe a little cleaner. You know, I often joke, it would have been nice, maybe the golden fleece diapers, you know, with Jesus coming and royalty and, and in, you know, a chariot just coming into this world in power. This is not the story. The story we embody is cruciformity, is the cross is in its day in the Greco-Roman world a way in which the empire would legit torture people. Like, you ever think about that? You ever think about the Instagram reels? And it's fine, I get it. Like churches, we're trying to present ourselves well and we've got these nice pictures from the back of the room during worship and the glowing lights and just, the, just everything. We want, we want to do this well. And again, the tension is I get it. I want to present this thing well too. And yet at the heart of it, the Jesus movement calls us in to something in its original context that was seen as almost barbaric. And Paul does this. He is like contrasting here. He talks about that he didn't come with eloquent words of wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Paul ultimately thought that this idea of coming as the sophist or the wisdom speaker. So in this day and age, there were literally people, it was their job to go around and just spew philosophy in the day. So you think when Paul goes to Athens in Acts chapter 17, and he kind of sets up shop and he starts to kind of dialogue with people, this was their culture. It was about wisdom, it was about knowledge, it was about even in that day if you were a sophist, one who brought kind of wisdom to bear, you were seen as somebody high up in culture. You think of the Greek philosophers of the day, many of us still learn about them in our own Western culture. Paul says, listen, I'm not here with eloquent wisdom, I don't want the cross to be emptied of its power. And so what he does is he actually contrasts these two things. Wisdom, eloquent wisdom, and the word of the cross. And he says this, for the word of the cross, Paul says, is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us in the room who are being saved, it's actually the power. Paul's not comparing power and weakness here. Here's what he's doing. He's comparing power and foolishness. Folly, foolishness. The Greek word is moriah, it's where we get the word. Anybody know the word we get from this? Moronic or moron? Welcome to church. Got a little bit of like Kevin McAllister in me this morning. It's good. This is what he's doing. He is pinning foolishness and the foolishness of the cross and how moronic this is even in culture, in that culture and time of day, that God would come and die 
and he is contrasting that to power. And so the cross to Paul, and obviously what Jesus did in going to the cross, calls us into a cruciform life. Every fabric of our being now is cross-shaped. We live, we're called into a cruciform life. And if we're honest, we very much sterilize this, right? So the cross was the most brutal form of execution known in the first century. It was despicable in Roman culture, most heinous, horrendous act and form of execution. It was basically designated for the worst of the worst in culture and society. The beautiful Fleming Rutledge, she puts it like this, no one in, hist- no one in the history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship of a crucified man. You feel it? How upside down, hey, come to our church, here's the mail, or come to our Christmas party. Yes, come to our Christmas party. And yet, the thing that we enter into, the way that we enter into, was our God hung on a cross. Some historians talk about how hundreds and hundreds of Jewish rebels were often hung on crosses, coming into major cities. If you know some of the the Jewish revolts, you know, the the tension, and I mean, we're not far off in some of what we're seeing and experiencing today, but back in the first century with Rome and then the Jews really trying to live out their own identity. There was revolts. I think of Judas Maccabeus, maybe a hundred years before Jesus, these little revolts trying to kind of spur on this Jewish uh, movement. And what they would do is they would literally hang these rebels, these Jewish rebels on crosses as you would go into the city at eye height so that you would see and know and understand who was in power. You wouldn't talk. It's so funny. You know, you wouldn't talk about crucifixion in social settings. And think about what we've done to it today. Any Michael W. Smith fans from the 90s? A couple of us are in therapy. It's good. You know, what's that song? Uh, Why don't you wear your cross of gold? You know, Michael, Smith, Michael W. Smith doing his thing. Some of you are like, Michael W. Smith, just, it's on YouTube, I'm sure. But we, we wear it around our necks in gold, right? And That's fine, but really, if the image we would get in our mind, it's like us today wearing a execution chair, an electric chair on a necklace around our neck. That would have been the image they would have picked up in the first century. We've sterilized it. I just saw recently a church, and it's fine. Beautiful beautiful church, and for Easter, they had crosses, and the crosses were in bright lights. And I get it. Jesus is the light of the world. I get all I, I get it. I get what Jesus has done. I get what we're trying to do, maybe. But so fascinating that this was about torture. And here it is on Easter, a cross in bright lights. We just need to remember and just be reminded that what we're entering into is far deeper than that. Elizabeth Elliot, she says, to be a follower of the crucified means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross. And she goes on and says, and the cross always entails loss. The great symbol of Christianity means sacrifice, and no one who calls himself a Christian can evade this stark fact. It entails lost, she says. N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, when we speak of following Christ, it is the crucified Messiah we are talking about. 
His death was not simply the messy bit that enables our sins to be forgiven, but that can be then forgotten. The cross is the surest, it is the truest and deepest window of the very heart and character of the living and loving God. The more we learn about the cross in all its historical and theological dimensions, the more we discover about the one in whose image we are made, and hence about our own vocation to be the cross-bearing people, the people in whose lives and service the living God is made known. Part of this entering into the way of Jesus is being these cross-bearing people. And if you know and follow Jesus, this isn't all sparkly lights and good feelings. This is a way into the way of Jesus that ultimately entails a death to ourselves. And so Paul would again contrast. He'd say the cross is absolute foolishness. It is utter foolishness. And here's what he does. He actually contrasts those who are perishing and outside the way of Jesus and those and what the cross means for those inside. Now, we don't, I don't think it's always helpful to use insider-outsider language, but the New Testament sometimes uses this. And I think the one place to really grab a hold of this is when it comes to the cross. Guys, this does not, this story does not make sense if we are perishing and we do not have the spirit within it, in us. Basically, Paul is saying that the message of the cross is moronic to those in the process of perishing and falling away. As Anthony Thistleton would say, great theologian, he says, folly brings self-destruction, right? It doesn't make sense. Paul's also saying that the message of the cross is power. It's actually the thing that gives us power, those of us who are in the process of yielding our lives to King Jesus and being saved. Remember, Paul's language around salvation, if you remember a few weeks ago, is that we are in this process of being saved before we will be saved. And yet, God uses the weirdest, most upside down, most, like, this is not the way anybody would write a story, and actually, this is why I'm a Christian. This is why I actually, part, one of the reasons why I believe and lean into this story amongst the evangelical upbringing and like wonderful upbringing, but this right here, this story is so foolish, it has to be believed because nobody would make this out. You read through the Gospels, nobody would paint the picture of themselves as the fools in the story uh, if they were trying to make a point in case if it wasn't true. Nobody would do that. In the first century world, nobody would write something as foolish as these writers would write, and this is why I believe, right? This is why we, part of, I think, why we believe. It is utter foolishness. Paul goes deeper, verse 22, and he talks about the complexity of Jews and Gentiles and what the cross meant in its day for Jews and Gentiles, right? Let me read it again, verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and follies to the Gentiles. If you know the Old Testament story, what was Israel always looking for? A sign, they just needed to see stuff. And, and let's be honest, I'm not, that, not passing judgment at all. I would probably be first in line for some of what we read in the Old Testament and some of the things that they wanted to see and experience. I get it. You're literally following a pillar of fire by night, right? Cloud by day, right? This, this, I know we have 
We have 2,000 years of history and writings passed along. We've got to throw them a bone. That is probably, I would be looking probably for a sign too, but Paul knows this. And he knows that the sign that they are not looking for, if you know the Jewish story, is they are not looking for a crucified Messiah under, uh, under Caesar and the empire. That is the last thing they're looking for. So Jews are looking for signs. Greeks, what are they looking for? Wisdom. The Sophists, the Hellenists, the Hellenism in, the, in, in that day and age. If you know anything about Alexander the Great, part of his reign was conquering, yes, but so much wisdom encapsulated kind of in that rule. It was about wisdom in the Greek day. And so the cross is a stumbling block. It's, the word is scandalon. It's actually this scandal for the Jews. That's what it is. It's like a t- uh, the, one of the translations, it's like a trap or a snare or revulsion for the Jews. If you were a first century Jew and you were hearing that Jesus the Messiah has died on a cross, it would it would elicit something within you that would be completely, at least you would feel in that moment, completely disconnected from your story, and then you have the Gentiles. It's moronic. It's moronic. It's a foolish, foolish story. And this is what we enter into. Welcome to church. Isn't it good to be here? It's great. Now, you you take the context of Jew, and you take the context of Gentile, and the struggle to embrace this thing called the cross, I want to be generous, but I often think then about uninterested Canadians a little bit in our context. Again, the tension we feel, I want everybody to know Jesus. I want everybody I know to come into life with Christ. I really do, and I think you do too for most of you that follow Jesus. And yet, it does challenge the method because the heart of this story is entering into death to self. And so in all the worry of the church in the moment, and what does this mean post-COVID, and we're kind of post-Christendom, and what does this mean for me and my kids, and what kind of world will they grow up in Canada where the church seems to be kind of a little all over the place or in decline, and then we're also faced with the reality that we also have to wrestle with what this message is, the depth of it. A call, as Jesus would say, to pick up your cross, pick up your electric chair, die to yourself, and follow me. And so brothers and sisters, we're going to get into like love, joy, peace, all of that. Advent is coming. But I thought maybe as we kind of head into Advent, there is no better time for us just to remind ourselves of what we're called into. Death. That God used the foolish things in the world, the weak things. And in the weak things, that's where, where the power is. This is the tension right now, again, with the church, not just to bring it all on the church, but sometimes we grasp for, like, powerful ways to do things, and yet we see right here that the very center of it is what in culture would be seen as the weak thing, the cross. Yeah, what are you going to do for me? Come to Jesus and die, right? Welcome to church. Sounds like a deep call, and it is for us doesn't mean we don't do things to reach out. It doesn't mean we don't posture ourselves with goodness and love towards our brothers and sisters. Obviously, all of that is non-negotiable. But a continued reminder that sometimes in our songs, in our teachings, sometimes around Easter in our conversations, this word cross rolls off the lips a bit. I get it. But what if every time we use this word, we kind of understood the life that we're called into? You with me? The call, brothers and sisters, pick up your cross, follow Jesus, 
Give your life. For many of us in this room this morning, it's, it's a dying, it's a continual dying to self, right? Salvation, you were saved, you are being saved, and someday you will be saved. And in the same sense, it's we've died to our sin. We are continually dying and picking up our cross. And as we come to the table and we come around just a time of worship, um, and I think important this morning, a time of repentance and trust laying down our lives, may we just be reminded that as we walk the road to the bread and cup this morning, Jesus walked that road. He gave himself, died the uh, most unruly death somebody could die in that culture for you and me. And we are these people that enter into this. Every time we walk to that table, it's a reminder of what Jesus has done. That this is the cruciform, the cross-shaped life. Everything we look at through our own spirituality and everything that happens in our lives as Jesus followers is through that lens of the cross. So stand with me and let's do this together. Let's do this together. The table is open. And um, these guys are going to, uh, this team's going to lead us. And, but even right now, right where you are, just as we think about kind of the movement towards communion this morning, this is just a call to, to die to ourselves, to lay our lives down. So wherever you're at this morning, I just... I, I encourage you to do that, just to lay your life down. And that's what we do, King Jesus. We come, we lay our lives down. We pick up our cross, we follow you. And as we take the bread and cup this morning, may it be a continued reminder, God, of what you've done. This isn't pretty. This isn't always feel good, but Jesus, we enter into this life following you. What the world sees as foolish, we consider it joy. We, we see that, God, that's where the power is. Your power, your work within us. So be among us, Spirit, I pray. As we sing, as we celebrate, as we walk the aisle, as we take the emblems this morning, a reminder of the hope and love that you've brought through going to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The table is open, and we're gonna sing a little bit here, and whenever you feel prompted, Go for it. And we're just going to take time to take communion this morning. Team, lead us. Let's sing together.